right. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, talking a little bit more about what happened in the Premier League this season. Rion, of course, or excuse me, this season, this weekend. God, yeah, everything's getting away from me. Um, Rion, of course, had a great day yesterday with Chelsea beating Burnley somehow. Um, but team that did not have a great day um, over the weekend, really to start off the Premier League big games, um, Fulham, I, I really, I don't know what happened to them. Quite frankly, I, I don't see them as a Premier League side. And I know it's a pretty tough pill to swallow, but what we did is we brought our friend Alex Norman on to the pod to talk about what's going on with Fulham, a lifelong Fulham fan, someone who has been through it through thick and thin, someone who probably has a mental illness at this point from following them this much, but we need, we need some sort of clarity. So Norman, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Yeah. Uh, happy to be here. And yeah, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs with Fulham. Uh, always nice to get promoted, but it was a pretty rude introduction to the Premier League again for us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Norman, what was it? Two years ago, 2018 19 season, we saw Fulham come up and spend loads of money and go out and get some, what we thought were very nice players. What, uh, Jean Mikel, uh, Sari was one of, was the big signing that summer guy who was being scouted by, I believe, like Barcelona at one point, right? Yeah. Um, Ellie's raised his hand when I said that, but, what is the difference this time? They spent so much last time and it, they didn't end up scoring very many goals. You know, the minus 57 goal difference, 26 points, and they finished 19th. Convince us here, Norman, what's the big difference between this Fulham team that came up and the team that got promoted a couple of years ago? Uh, I think it starts with, as you were saying, the, uh, the money spent, you know, like when we got promoted two years ago, uh, the squad did need improving. Uh, I think all Fulham fans could agree on that. But I think the way the club went out and spent uh, wasn't really the most efficient way of spending. They didn't, you know, fix the areas that needed to be fixed. Uh, we lost, you know, Matt Target. Uh, he was on loan for us and really was a great player uh, to get us promoted. And we didn't go out and sign him. Ended up bringing Joe Bryan, who, you know, for all his qualities going forward. He's a bit of a liability defensively. And then, you know, just buying players that didn't fit the team. You had, like you were saying, John Michael Seri, great signing, like could have gone to Barcelona, like uh, considered a huge coup by Fulham, but you, he never fit in next to, you know, our captain, Tom Kenny. It was two people trying to play the same role. And uh, so you're just trying to kind of fit the force, the pieces together when they uh, really weren't going. And then, yeah, I think you were saying the minus 57 goal difference that really stemmed from uh, just the horrible, horrible defending uh, that we had two years ago. And, you know, under Jokanovic, we played great football in the championship, went on that like 24 game uh, unbeaten run to end the championship season to get us into the playoffs and then win that playoff final against Villa. But uh, the style never changed in the Premier League. And, you know, you're going to get exposed against better quality teams they, there was there's obviously a clear quality difference between the championship and the premiership. And so to convince you that this team is better, um, I think if you look back at the championship season last year, Fulham were, you know, still that heavy possession-based team, but just so much 
so much more sturdy defensively. You know, Parker has really instilled a level of defense into the team that, um, while we may not have seen it last weekend, really, I think it's the key difference between, you know, the team two years ago and the team now is when we had a one nil lead, I uh, looked it up today. Uh, we won the game 21 out of 23 times last season. And I think that's an indication of how the team's going to be this year. And, you know, we can hopefully, at least as, uh, as I'm hoping we can defend against these better teams and then we can go out and we have those front players of Mitro, you know, be, signed Knockhart on a uh, permanent deal. We signed Caballero on a permanent deal. Those guys were, you know, good going forward last year without giving up too much defensively. So I think uh, this team has a much better balance. And so hopefully we'll start to see that in the results. Yeah. And it also helps that I think Scott Parker is one of the best dressed managers in the Premier League. <laughs> so it, it, he looks great on the sidelines. It, the three piece suit, the tie with the clip, very well trimmed. But uh, I think it's it's so a tough first game, obviously, playing a team that I think at least most of us expect in Arsenal, a team that we at least expect to be in the Europa League spots at worst. So I was saying before this, before we hopped on here that the games against the likes of Arsenal and the top six teams are not going to be what's going to decide your season. So it's it's tough to get too deep into the weeds of the playing style against Arsenal, but just comparing them to what we saw, you know, Leeds playing wonderful, you know, really expansive football, very, very, very intense pressing and, and something that we haven't seen really from a lot of championship size. And then in West Brom, we have Slavin Bilic coming back to the Premier League who had a pretty great spell at West Ham, uh, but we would never say that his teams were quite expansive. So uh, let us in a little bit on uh, Fulham's playing style. Like, what makes what is different in the way they play compared to Leeds and, and West Brom, the other two promoted teams? Uh, I think when you look at Leeds, you real uh, nailed it with saying just the pressing and the high intensity. Um, I think that's kind of a Bielsa trait that he has there. And, um, you know, it almost works for them against Liverpool. Uh, Fulham are a lot more conservative. Uh, you know, we like to have a lot of possession, uh, which you saw on uh, you saw in the game against Arsenal last weekend. And it's just very steady, very patient build-up play. Uh, I think what we lacked over the weekend was that you know key run in behind the defense. And uh, I wasn't sure why Mitro didn't start. I know he's had a hamstring issue in the last few weeks, but you know he we really need a focal point of the attack. And I think that was lacking a bit over the weekend, but you know, everything kind of is, it goes through the thirds and, uh, it's very patient. We don't, the defenders, we like to play out from the back. Uh, Michael Hector can, you know, spray those long balls out wide, uh, like he was doing last year. You know, the wing backs like to get forward. Um, Joe Bryan, as I was saying before, and then, you know, Dennis Adoy or maybe Tete who we recently signed can kind of push forward on the right. Uh, so as well I as think patience of uh, Tim Ream, right? <laughs> yeah, the less said about him, probably the better. Uh, <laughs> I think he is definitely someone that we need to be looking to replace before the window shuts. But um, yeah, just you know, patient build up, uh, having that like solid anchor man in the heart of midfield, which we've 
gone and got gone and signed Harrison Reed, who played very well for us last season. So I think he will be you know, an instrumental part of the team this year. And just it's slow, it's patient, it maybe is not as exciting as Leeds and you know, maybe doesn't have the experience of Billage, but uh I think it will frustrate a lot of teams. Um and you know, teams that are maybe less well drilled than Arsenal, their pressing isn't gonna be as good and then Fulham can, you know, start to exploit those gaps that will appear on the pitch. All right, well, I mean I'm definitely looking forward to finally the West London Derby coming back with Fulham and Chelsea, which is which uh, it's not necessarily a big rivalry, but it will definitely give me and uh, Alex some opportunities to throw money around in in uh, <laughs> betting. So you, you can have to give me some uh, some good odds on that one. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, come on, you guys are not that far off uh, spending wise. Subtle <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. uh, flex. <laughs> no, 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 but. Let's talking about the other two promoted sides and, and we talked about how different their playing styles are, but where do we feel like they're going to finish? And Elias, I'm going to start with you on where, where do you think Fulham leads and West Brom? What are your expectations for those three teams this season? Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about leads in the Premier League season preview. I think we're of the opinion that leads are, a very good side. Um, they're, they're a side that because of Bielsa essentially are in the Premier League for the first time in, you know, several, several years. So honestly, I don't see Leeds getting relegated. I see them as a mid table side, right? They pushed Liverpool to the absolute brink, quite frankly, this weekend and should have gotten points off of them. Um, and I say points plural, by the way, not just singular. So Leeds, I think are a truly quality side. West Brom, I don't know if we've seen enough of them, quite frankly. I think that's the biggest issue with West Brom. I, I mean, when I say that, obviously, in the context of the Premier League, but my inclination is that they are going to be a difficult side to break down, but I, I don't know if they have enough attacking firepower. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if they have enough to actually score goals. In the same way that, actually, the complete opposite way, that Chelsea's policy is basically going to be score more, more goals than your opponent. So two very different mindsets. And lastly with Fulham, I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen them play much in the championship last season, but what I saw this weekend wasn't just an Arsenal team that was looking good, right? I picked Arsenal to finish fourth this season, but it was a team in Fulham that didn't really have the energy to combat that as well. And, and Arsenal aren't really an innovative team. They're, they're going through a lot of transformation, but Fulham did not look up to it over the weekend. And if that's, it, it looked almost systemic. Um, and so I'm a little concerned for them in terms of relegation. I, quite honestly, I, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably choose them to be relegated. All right, Norman, fight him. Just, <laughs> it just, it's, it's obviously. Elliot. Is that the whole point of this? <laughs> No, um, I have to I have to agree in Fulham and just the, just not even necessarily with how they played um, against Arsenal. I, it just feels as currently constructed and there's still two to three weeks left in the transfer window. That Tim Reeve thing is a really, really tough sell for me. If Tim Reeve is going to be playing 
a majority of these games starting. I know he's American and I usually do just kind of blindly support uh, any of the American players playing in Europe, but he is, Alex, correct me if he, if he's 32, 32, 33 now, and he looks completely off Premier League quality and off the pace. He looked just completely off it this past weekend. And I think there needs to be a bit more dynamism to the attack for Fulham for me, whether, whether it's more dynamism in terms of the players or playing style, I think I would lean a bit more on, I think the players um, needs to be a bit more dynamism in the final third, because I felt like Fulham, at least we're getting to the final third a fair amount against Arsenal and, and just were not quite, I think moving the Arsenal midfielders and, and back line around enough. And for West Brom, and I like the experience, the experience of Slavin Bilic, I think will keep them in the relegation battle and then they will not be completely dead by, I don't think they'll be totally uh, relegated mathematically or even, you know, um, metaphorically by in the second half of the season. I think they'll be going to one of the last weeks still in the relegation fight along with along with Fulham, but I can see Fulham and West Brom not quite having enough to stay up. But Alex, obviously we have to give the, our guest here. So let him have the final word. I know we've been, seems like we've been shitting on Fulham this entire time. We did not bring you on just to shit on Fulham. So, I mean, we partially did, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, I'll start with Leeds as well. Um, I kind of agree with you guys. I think the way they play is uh, a good fit for the Premier League. Uh, but I one key thing with Leeds teams, uh, you kind of saw it just before the pause of play for COVID this season, or I guess last season, and even two seasons ago, that high-pressing, high-intensity Bielsa system, you see these Leeds teams just end up collapsing towards the end of the season. Um, so I think, you know, Hopefully with Premier League degree players, they went out and signed, you know, for example, Rodrigo, uh, which I think is a great signing for them. Hopefully that, you know, doesn't happen for them. But uh, I think that's always a big thing to consider in March that maybe they will be up in 13th, 14th, but those results will start or in the least in past have started to kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, but again, I, I think they will have the quality to see it through and stay up. Um with West Brom, Rian, I, I'm agreeing with what you're saying there. I think the experience of the manager is going to help them a lot, but uh, I just don't think they have the quality there. They don't have, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. You know, they don't have an out-and-out striker. Uh, I think their top goal scorer last season had 10 goals. Um, so I just can't see them, I can't see them hacking it uh, in the Premier League and just, you can't win games if you're not going to score. Uh, and then lastly, you know, I'll I'll go out on a limb and say that I think Fulham will stay up. Um, I need them to for, you know, my sanity. I, I can't <laughs> deal with this yo-yoing uh, very much. But um, I think Fulham have always had slow starts. We've had them in the Premier League two years ago. We've had them in the Championship for the last few seasons, uh, which sounds like an excuse, but I think we need to break that this season because we have a lot of winnable games in our first uh, first few weeks, I think we have a huge one against Leeds this coming weekend, which, 
you know, hopefully it will give you guys a little better indication of the way Fulham can play. And, you know, maybe you guys can say something nice about Fulham, maybe make it a weekly thing. <laughs> Instead of just always <laughs> just uh, shooting on uh, no, but, no, he's right. He's totally right. <laughs> this, this, this will, the Leeds game will give us a much better marker of of where Fulham will finish this season. I say that now, I'll probably get slapped three 0 and then you'll be like that twentieth. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I also agree that you know I don't think Tim Ream is Premier League quality. I don't think he has been. I don't think he ever was really, even two years ago. Um, so I think that agreed. Yeah, that that has to be. Uh, Tony Khan's, you know, main focus before this window closes is to uh, get us a new centre back. Because I think uh, this transfer window, we've had some great players brought in. Um, personally, been very happy with the transfers, but I think this is one that you know needs to get done. Like we have, you know, Ariola now in goal, which I think is going to be a huge step up. Um, no discredit to Marek Rodak, I think he had a great year last year, but this is like you know a World Cup winner, goalkeeper, champion. Uh, a league on winner. So um, I think that will help a lot, but yeah, the center back issue needs to be resolved. Otherwise we'd be, we'll be in trouble. Um, and I don't really want to be waiting until January to sign a center back. That's very fair. All right, Alice, one last thing before we let you go, no bias, totally objectively out of the three championship teams to come up, who would you say one player to watch the, the player you think of most quality and might, seamlessly fit into the Premier League the best? Uh, I think, you know, you'd say unbiased. It's kind of hard to be. I think Mitrovic, you know, he was Premier League quality and you saw him win the golden boot in the championship last year and just, you know, bully some of those championship defenders. I think he's going to find a tougher time of it uh, up in the Premier League. And I think also his shithousery, he might have to cut down a little bit because of VAR. He got <laughs> away with a couple of things last season. So we don't need him getting, you know, three, four match bans. Um, but no, I think he is, you know, proven Premier League quality. I was a little bit surprised, honestly, that we kept him after we got relegated two years ago. Uh, so I'm excited to see him back in the league. I think he should be in. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out for him. Fantasy Premier League legend two years ago, by the way. Had him on my <laughs> Premier League team. He's he. Great, great pickup. I'll probably try to get him again. So thank you, Alex, for coming on and, and defending Fulham and convincing me that they will be in in battle for relegation, that they will not be dead by <laughs> by Christmas like last like last time. So you've convinced me at least of that. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I could uh glad I can change your opinion somewhat. But uh, no, thanks for having me guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, after you heard a little bit about Fulham, the newly promoted sides in the Premier League, we want to talk a little bit more about what has actually already happened in the Premier League. The big game from the weekend, of course, being Tottenham, a still terrible Tottenham side, in my opinion, and a rejuvenated Everton side under Carlo Ancelotti for his second season in Everton, a sentence that I really never thought I would say. So, Rian... You and I watch this game together. I think you and I have very similar thoughts, actually, on this game. What was your takeaway from this this entire match for both teams? We'll start start with Spurs. Or, you know what, start how you want. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. 
no, no, I want I want to start with I want to start with Spurs for sure, and then and and laud the praises for for Don Carlo um, afterwards. But I mean, Tottenham were just. I, I tweeted. This is the same Jose Mourinho we've seen for the last four years, and I don't think I need to say much more to that. I think people know what I mean by that. It, it's the same style. People. Uh, getting pissed that they're not high pressing and, and Marino himself after the game saying, Oh, my players were lazy with the pressing. I can't remember a single Jose Mourinho game that his team pressed high ever, literally ever. So if we think that's going to start happening, I think just throw it out of your mind right now. They're never going to, they're never going to press high. They're never going to do the high press. Cause that's not uh, that's, Jose Mourinho doesn't coach that and if they do any sort of high pressing it'll be most likely very disjointed biggest takeaway the midfield from Tottenham was just puree shit shit puree especially in the second half with you know the Deli Alley coming off for as Jose Mourinho said tactical reasons I, I assume because he didn't do the high press even um, just purely on his own, because I'm sure that he was not told during the week to press Everton high, but he doesn't play in the second half and Tottenham's had significantly less touches in the final third. And this is Jose Mourinho team. I mean, there's like, there's two weeks left in the transfer window. We're seeing rumors of Sergio Regulon going to Tottenham and, I can't believe it. We're even hearing of perhaps Gareth Bale even going back to Tottenham. This team could look very different in three weeks, but that was quite, I think, poor poor performance, but also a team that did not look remotely uh, Champions League quality. Yep. I knew we had similar thoughts on this game. Good to know. Yeah, Spurs were absolutely abysmal. Um, the th- the problem, and I still don't know the answer to this question, is I don't know who to blame, though. Like, it's hard for me to point all the blame at Jose because he inherited this core set of players, and quite frankly, under Levy, still has not been able to get the players that he wants. Apparently, might get Regulon, but still has not been able to actually invest in this team. He's been having to deal with what he has, what he has is not high quality as a team. It's just a couple of high quality individuals and in they're attacking front three. And then of course, whatever sits behind them and whatever sits behind them is really only capable of, I don't want to say parking the bus, but I want to say being defensively sound or attempting to be while counterattacking. Um, and that showed basically in its peak form on, on Sunday. So I, I don't really know what to make of Spurs and and how they're going to progress because I, I don't see a path for that. I just don't see how they actually come out of this unscathed. And Jose might roast his players publicly and privately, but at the end of the day, I, d- I just don't think he has the players he wants and the players to contend for the Champions League. They're they're truly at risk of falling out of the top six. Yeah, I think that's. Absolutely. They're, they're in major danger of falling out of the top six for this, for this season. And to so to segue into Everton, Tottenham are in danger. I genuinely believe 
that Tandem are in danger of falling out of the traditional top six itself. I mean, none of, none of that is guaranteed. And before I get into that kind of more, I guess, uh, philosophical question, but, um, point, but Everton midfield on Sunday, most balanced, I think we've seen. And I can't even remember when, I mean, maybe since Idrissa Gay was on the, was on that team along with, um, along with uh, Romelu Lukaku and, and that team pushed for top four. TBT. TBT. Yeah. Uh, but this was the most balanced. I think I, I genuinely, I think this is the most balanced Everton midfield. I can remember seeing watching. Allen was just so solid, just holding as holding mid, moving the ball forward and getting in tackles and, and played great defensively for them. Abdullah Decore coming over from Watford. There was one moment in that game where Tottenham were about to counter. And I think you, me and Peter were watching this and that exact moment when he stops the counter himself, he tracks back and, and wins a one-on-one. Um, I believe it might've been against Sun. And we all said, Oh my gosh, any other year with Everton. And that's a goal. And like, this is like the exact type of player that they've been missing. You know, someone who's to win tackles, guys to win tackles. And, and, um, I thought DeCorey's high pressing was fantastic as well. And then James Rodriguez. This is about as close to the Columbia national team, I think, as he could get in, in terms of his responsibilities on this team. This is a team that's going to look to him to be their main playmaker. And we've seen him, I don't even, I don't want to say struggle necessarily, but not quite reach his potential in the past at teams that were loaded with stars. Uh, and he played well at Bayern when Carlo Ancelotti was the coach as well. But his, the rest of his time at Bayern, you know, and Real Madrid as well, playing with a lot of other stars and, and not quite getting as many touches, this is a team that will rely on him. And from what we saw on Sunday, looks like he's going to relish it. And the more you put him on the ball, the more his you, you remember how great of a passer he is and how influential he can be in the team. I think the thing for me is people don't realize how good James actually was. Like they saw it in glimpses at the world cup. Then what truly then what he went to Bayern, he had small stint with Real Madrid. It didn't really work out in his favor, but in some weird universe, he has landed at Everton and I think this is ultimately his weight of, of completely shining. Like, he is the controller of that midfield. He is the vision of that midfield. He is everything to that midfield three, right? And like you said, they're perfectly balanced in having Allen be just a rock defensively. And he was for, not even vertically. He, horizontally, he was everywhere. And I think that was the most impressive part of his game. So... Thomas has all the pieces he needs and all the supporting cast to be in a team that really suits him. He's, he's free roaming. He's playing a hybrid 10 and also kind of an eight. And like, it's basically in that middle of the park area and roaming to the wings. It's perfect for him. It's just the perfect situation. I do. I, I have to say, I wish it was at a 
team that was of a higher caliber than Everton. Unfortunately, I, I have to say that. But I'm very happy that he found his feet either way. And I think that perfectly leads to that, that he's not at a team of a caliber that we would, you know, you would expect from a player of his, of his quality. But this is where I come on to the fact that we could be talking in three years and, and saying that the top six in England includes Everton instead of Tottenham. I, I think it's completely possible just for this reason. So I've talked with Ellis about how I've been reading reading some uh, soccer books over the summer and with my uh, almost unlimited free time that has come with COVID. And one of the things, one of the books I've been reading is, is Soccernomics, and they make a great, great little research on the effect of the wage bills at teams and and how does that correlate with changes in league spots. And one of the things they found was that 90% of the variation in between 2007 and 2016 in the Premier League, 90% of the variation in league spots year to year was due to wage spending. And I know we'd say very easily, you pay more, you have better players. Like obviously the teams with the highest wage bills are going to be, are going to be the best teams, but it's more of like over long term, higher wages, are a better way of improving your team as opposed to just paying massive fees. And what we've seen with Everton, I've read that the Hamas Rodriguez transfer was free and it's just a two year contract that they actually didn't end up having to pay for, um, pay for him from Real Madrid. And, and they purely took on his, his wages. And that's something that we see at Bayern as well. A team that got to the champ that won the champions league this year with, I think a total spend of their starting 11 was only somewhere around a hundred million euros. The high pay, as they say in the, as they say in the book, you know, the high pay leads to attracting good players. Right. And, and we've seen it at Bayern as a team that regularly waits out world-class players to the end of their contract and pays them massive wages. And they still come and they still come to the team and it's, and they don't have to leave they don't have to wait until they get the trans. They don't have to uh, leave immediately for a transfer fee and whatnot, but they, but they're obviously different than <laughs> Bayern to Everton, a different pull of course, but it's the high wages that attracts a Hamas Rodriguez. Everton's wage bill in, in 2016 was around 55 million pounds. And this is all sourced from, from spotrack.com and team that finished in seventh, 25 points behind Tottenham. Tottenham's wage bill that year, 71 million pounds. And they finished 20, around 20 expected points better than Everton. Fast forward to just last season, that gap wage wise has shrunk dramatically between these two teams. 79 million pounds in wages for Everton last year and Tottenham 86 million. The, with their highest wage, in Tottenham, their highest their highest earner is is, is uh, Harry Kane, obviously. You know, two hundred thousand a week. And if you look at their highest paid player seven to eight years ago was Jem, was Jermaine Defoe getting paid eighty grand eighty uh, grand a week. So the move towards paying your players more attracts better players. Uh, in twenty nineteen, that seven million pound difference 
Everton only finished six expected points uh, off or better finished six points, expected points better off than Tottenham last year. And obviously two teams that were both in transition, by the way. So both teams that lost a manager in the middle of the season and had to switch it up. So, so it's not like one was in a better, it was better advantage than the other, but just to kind of tie a type bow, uh, a bow around this point in the book here on one of these pages, it's, they say, but, you know, the obvious answer to how you can win more matches, you know, purely from a purely from a transfer spending view, is to spend less on your of your income on transfer and more of it on your wages. And generally, it's just better to pay. It might be better to pay your leading players more than risk losing them and have to go out and buy a replacement. And I think we saw a little bit of that from Tottenham also in the last few years, bumping up wages and whatnot. But that has still not led to at least world-class players coming to Tottenham and, and the gap has been shrunk between them and Everton. And, and I don't think it's crazy to see that in three years that perhaps we'll think of Everton of more as more of a mainstay in the top six than Tottenham. That is such a compelling argument. G- genuinely, that is a very, very interesting argument. And it's interesting to think that with the capital that they they being Tottenham currently have the only thing from really, I guess, stopping themselves from becoming the new Everton is their chairman and their sporting director. It's the, I mean, they're basically like three signings away from being a top side that I genuinely believe that. And they're sitting on, I would I would say probably more capital than most Premier League teams, but you also have to think about the fact that they did just build a new stadium, so their cash flow is not going to be nearly as high as the other top six teams. So they may not actually have the money relative to other top teams to actually pay the wages of the top players that they might want, whereas Everton have certainly not built a new stadium and are sitting on cash from revenue from TV. And so where do you spend that? James, you know, and you make a good point. So it's, it's very possible, but I don't know if I would go so far as to say as they swap places. Um, I think Everton can certainly make a, a positive run, but that's, I, I wouldn't go as far. I'll say it. I'll say that much. And that is your prerogative, Elias. That's why, that's, that's why I'm the forward thinker of the, of the two. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, of course, of course. But uh, no, it, it's 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 something to watch for. I think in the next couple of years, for sure. And, and Everton did pay some. They paid thirty million for Alan. I think they paid around the same price for Decore. I think that thirty million euros for Alan. It. Compared to, I think, what he would have gone for, I think, two years ago, it's it's a very good deal for them. And I'm sure he's getting paid. He's one of the highest paid players on the team. So we'll see wherever it's again, it's just a prediction. But the gap is closing from that traditional top six, I think, to the seventh to ninth below. And one of the one of those areas is in the wage bill. And I don't think that Tottenham should feel that they are safe from from being usurped in that top six. 
um, for the time being. I don't, I don't think there's any reason for them to feel very, to feel safe about that. No, not at all. They should not feel safe because, because quite frankly, they're, they're closer to falling into that category rather than staying where they are. So I'll leave it at that. I'm so sorry that any Spurs fan has to listen to this because it was brutal, but it's the harsh reality. As a Barcelona fan, I can tell you that I've accepted my fate. You can also accept yours. Trust me, we have a support group. But anyway, Rian, I think that wraps up the Everton Tottenham uh, portion of the pod. Really just going over what's been going on in the Premier League as of this past weekend. Football is back. We have a lot to talk about. I'm excited. Um, it's going to be a busy time. So with that... I think we'll wrap up and thank you guys as always for listening and we'll be talking soon. Thanks guys.